Hello everyone, it's Precious Pioneer and welcome to another episode of Precious the Foodie. This is going to be a bonus episode. I had the wonderful opportunity to be featured on the In Pursuit podcast hosted by Lisa and I think it gives some really great insight into the sustainability side of the food industry and so I hope that you enjoy this bonus episode. I'll be sure to leave the In Pursuit podcast information down in the show notes if you're interested in checking out her podcast as well. But yeah, let's jump in. Hi, welcome to Precious the Foodie Podcast, the show that will uncover stories through palettes and memories. My name is Precious Pioneer, your host. I'm a chef, a creative, and a foodie. I'm meeting people all over the world using food as a medium to highlight truths into bite-sized pieces. Hey, I'm Lisa, and welcome to In Pursuit. This episode is a part of the On Air series. On Air is a series featuring other podcast hosts, and the whole meaning behind it is to present the person behind the microphone. There are so many interesting and unique podcasts out there, and behind every neat idea is a really cool person. For today's episode in particular, I got to sit down with Precious Pioneer. She is known as Precious Pioneer on YouTube and Instagram, and she also has her own podcast called Precious the Foodie. She is an amazing person, an aspiring chef, and she goes into the depths of what it is like to integrate sustainability and locality within what you are cooking and what you are serving people, and also just creating an environment in which people can remember the experience based on the dish that they were served and her story as to how, why she wants to become a chef and how that came about and then also how that has showcased throughout high school into her undergraduate studies when she started her own cookie business not to give any spoilers and then just where she is at now and her plans for the future so i loved getting to sit down with precious and just hearing her perspective on what it's like to support local farms and know where your food is coming from and just integrate sustainability into how you're cooking and what you're serving others so i hope you enjoy this episode i really loved getting to chat with her and without further ado let's get into it My name is Precious. I go by Precious Pioneer online. I am an aspiring chef. I create content. I also have a podcast called Precious the Foodie, but I've just uh, been staying busy lately during this quarantine time. How has quarantine impacted you as an individual, impacted your ambitions? Kind of a Um, broad question, but just (laughs) where were you at when quarantine hit and what had to change? Oh, so a lot has definitely changed. I think it's definitely been an emotional uh, roller coaster for me specifically. I was a pastry chef. And so granted, restaurants were the first thing to close once COVID hit. I remember it being kind of surreal because like in January, we toasted and drank champagne. And then literally as the months continued all the way until March is when the staff was completely cut off. And I was one of the remaining a couple of people left. 
And then it just got to a point where everything was closed down. And I had just graduated from college last year and restaurant management. I always would joke around with people saying, well, hospitality is a never dying field. People are always going to eat out and never could I have foreseen that nope, our industry was obliterated. (laughs) Like my friends who work in hotels and all these different things, my friends who work at Disney and do a lot of the music production there, like everything was completely taken away. So it was definitely a learning curve. I had to learn and figure out that my self-worth didn't fall into my job, which was new, you know? So I think on a personal level, it's definitely affected me for self-growth and personal development. And it gave me an opportunity to work on projects that I always put to the side or didn't have time for, which was really refreshing and rewarding. But on the other side, you know, like it was really sad to see so many of my friends, including myself, unemployed during this time. So, yeah. And how did that affect you in terms of what you were striving for? Did anything change? Did you have to reevaluate what you wanted and how did that look like for you? Right. So during this time, I actually took the year off to work a lot so I could save to go to culinary school in Barcelona, which is incredibly exciting. But I remember when I first was unemployed, I was like, well, I don't know how I'm going to get any sort of monetary income or anything to be able to travel abroad now. So I remember being incredibly stressed and worried. And with the casual like three million people unemployed you know it was nearly impossible for the first three four months to reach unemployment to get any sort of um, aid or anything but I've been very blessed to live with my family during this time for that year gap that I took but if I was on my own I honestly wouldn't know what I would do so it did take a very long time for me to get any sort of compensation, I suppose. So that has definitely been impacted. I was originally supposed to go to school in September, but with the uncertainty, I pushed it back to January, which I think was a very good decision, you know, even though I wasn't very excited to do that at all. When that originally happened, I was very distraught, I guess. I was very sad because I I just didn't know. And so that that was a tough time for sure. But I think I've definitely... I just had to let it go. I had to learn that it's not just me that uh, my goals and ambitions, I'm sure everybody had a plan this year. It's not just me who had to like be like, okay, I guess I have to change my plans. I'm pretty sure everyone had to do it and being reassured that no one's really behind, you know, if I can't control it, then I just need to let it go because it was really causing a serious stress for a while. Mm -hmm. And so I had to just accept that everyone's timeline has shifted back. I don't think anybody could have uh, expected or predicted a pandemic, so. Yeah, but on the other hand, you just casually dropped that you're going to culinary school in Barcelona. How (laughs) did that even happen? How did you decide that you wanted to apply abroad? And what was that process like for you? So I have always wanted to go to Spain. I don't know why? I think part of my Spanish heritage, I just really always wanted to go there. And they had a trip in high school, but in high school, it was so expensive. The trip was like for two weeks and it was like $6,000 or something. And me going to college right after, you know, I didn't have that much extra senior money, you know, and I wanted to study abroad in college and do that, but I was a student athlete. And so we train all year round. So there's no way I can just leave school for six months and expect a good track season 
So it was just this thing that I've always wanted to do. And I know I didn't want to study culinary in America because our cuisine and our culture isn't the best in that aspect. And I really wanted to learn not only how to be a chef, but how to be a really a sustainable chef. And uh, I think that's what I really fell in love with this program because not only do they teach you farm to table and basically anyone can learn how to cook. You can go on YouTube or pick up a couple cookbooks and you can learn how to cook, which is great. But the reason why I really love this program is because they not only give you the tools of like how to cook, but then they give you life's problems, like the world's problems. And they ask you to use critical thinking and how you can find solutions to these larger climate change issues related to our food industry, especially with our agricultural issues and things like that relating to food currently. And I think that's what really inspired me because that's the kind of a chef and change that I'd want to, to do in my job. Yeah, kind of on that note of climate change and how food can really alter just the way that we live sustainably or the way that we don't. What are some issues in that field that you are really passionate about? When I was younger, I always knew that I wanted to feed people because we have like a lot of issues in this world. I'm like, okay, I just need to focus on one thing. Like if I can fix one thing, that I think that's what I wanted to do. And looking at the bigger scale, like of course on a very close microscopic level, we see like homelessness and food deserts in America, especially disproportionately related to black people in America and especially minorities and things like that. But taking like a lot of steps back, we have to look at like the systems that are in place and gentrification and especially American agriculture of mass producing everything and how that impacts the soil and how we process it all the food that we eat nowadays or spray pesticides and all these different things. It's very important to kind of just look at how basically a seed is planted and how it gets to our plate and looking at that supply chain process. And over the years, it's definitely just has been getting longer and longer and longer. And you can just see that by just going to the grocery store, like looking at where your strawberries come from. Are they shipped from across the world or all these different things? And that's just the expectation that we have, you know, to have food 24-7, but that's not really what nature can provide. I always say that if you're getting fresh fruit in the winter, like they're not growing here. It's snowing. You know, you have to think about the context of which food comes from. And I think the reason why we struggle with that, because, you know, more than a third of the population is obese or suffers from uh, health-related issues strictly to the food and diets that they're eating. I think that has to do with education, honestly, like the food realm of education is just so saturated and it's biased and it's really, really hard to navigate. That's why there's always new food trends every single year of like, oh, do keto, oh, do fit 30 or, you know, all these different things. And it's really, really difficult to see what's good for you and what's not because all these related articles are either, you know, the same thing with like other things that are backed by money or whatever it may be. And so it's really hard to to navigate that. And so I think on my end that I'm really passionate about like food education and advocacy, especially for people who don't have access to it. There's a reason why even how COVID has impacted the Black community and how it related to um, 
our underlying quote underlying health conditions it's because of those food deserts um, people aren't getting access to the right amount of food you know or uh, corner stores and fast food restaurants are adequate for those type of communities when it's really not you know they don't have access to grocery stores or uh, a lot of the produce is it readily available for other communities and so I think just bringing more awareness to that and figuring out systems that we can put in place to help people is really what I'm going for, I think. Mm-hmm. That was really long, but... <laughs> no, that was very well said. And thank you for sharing why you are passionate about this. And you said that since you were younger, you've always wanted to feed people and hone in on that aspect of the many social issues that we have. And what was that like for you? And when did you know that you wanted to become a chef? How is that transitioned over time into your undergraduate studies. One of your episodes or videos, you mentioned that you did a lot of work in the food industry, even in high school. So how has your experience integrated into that and your passion? And how has that been like for you since you're younger up until this point? Honestly, it's so funny because it's definitely changed so much over time. Just to put it in perspective, you know, when I was younger and like second grade, And people ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I'm like, you know what? I want to work at Red Lobster. That was like my dream job (laughs) as a kid. And I think it's because I understood what restaurants do to people. For me growing up, we only went out to restaurants to celebrate birthdays or big events. And everyone chose Red Lobster because it was just such a novelty thing. And it brought a lot of joy. So I'm like, you know what? Like, I want to do that. And then eventually it grew and changed over time. I grew up watching uh, Food Network and TLC Cake Boss and all of that. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I I love art and I love pastry. Let me do that. That's the dream job. And so uh, there was a period of time where I only wanted to be a pastry chef. And then I realized in college that I'm like, oh, you know what? Culinary is kind of cool too. Let me learn how to do that. And then as I studied uh, restaurant management, and so the reason why I went to college first before culinary school, I wanted the college experience and I wanted to do sports. And I knew I wanted to open my own restaurant at, at that point. I knew I wanted to open my own restaurant. I just wanted to know the business side of it first. I didn't want to just hire somebody. I wanted to know how to do everything. And so I think that's why I chose the management side. And now I'm going to do the culinary part. And that's definitely changed too, because then I started really being interested in Chef's Table on Netflix. And I was so interested in being this beautiful fine dining restaurants where it just blows people's minds and being a celebrity chef. I'm like, oh, that'd be so cool, you know, whatever. And there's not a lot of females, let alone black females. Oh my goodness. When you think of chef, you think of Gordon Ramsay or you think of all these tough guys with beards and tattoos. You don't think of femininity. And so I'm like, that'd be so cool. And The thing is, though, I think I'm definitely still on my food journey, and I don't know. I still feel like I'd want to open my own restaurant. I'm just not sure. I think over time I realized that I don't think I cook because the glitz and the glam. I had to realize with this whole thing, uh, with COVID, I had to sit and realize, I'm like, okay, so why am I so upset? Like, why do I even want to become a chef? You know, and I had to think about it. Like, what makes me happy? And I don't think uh, it's for the to be rich and famous i don't think that's what 
sparks joy for me. And I knew I ha- it originally came down to making people happy. I really loved working in restaurants because how I grew up, people come to restaurants to celebrate their anniversaries, their graduations, their birthdays. And so as a pastry chef at that time, you know, they would order the cake that I made or these little chocolate desserts and they would just be so happy, you know, just so incredibly happy and they take photos. And I felt like being a part of their memory contributed to that. And that's what really brings me joy when people are just like, wow, it's so good. Thank you so much. Just getting that joy from people. And so I think wherever, whatever career path that I choose, I don't know which one it'll be. Maybe I'll be a private chef. I don't know. Anywhere I think I can access that cooking to bring joy to people or to give access to people. I think that's what really makes me happy. That's where I'm at now. But ask me in five years, it might be completely different, you know? So it's definitely just grows, changes and evolves. But, but yeah. That's so amazing. And it's so interesting to hear how you came from, I want to work at Red Lobster to, I want to be a part of someone's experience and someone's memory. I wanted to ask what it was like being a student athlete during your undergrad and what is your background in athletics? And if you could just share a little bit more about that, because I think that's so unique. Yeah, my athletic uh, background is pretty funny. I'm the type of person that just wants to do everything and anything. And so growing up, uh, I played softball for most of my life. Like I was a really great softball athlete. We traveled all over the US and we played in Disney Wide World of Sports, which is kind of like a big deal as a kid. You're like on TV and all these things. And so that was really fun. But then I, you know, I picked up soccer and basketball and that's honestly just too much running for me. (laughs) Running is not my favorite activity ever. But I think with moving around a lot, I actually, I felt like I lost a lot of friends. You know, I lost my why. The reason why I put up with all of these, because training for a sport is just, you have to practice every single day for hours, you know? And so I think that when I got in high school, just moving around a lot, I realized that none of my friends are here, you know? So it didn't feel like there was no reason for me to continue this. I didn't enjoy it as much because my friends weren't there. And so I was just like, you know what, let me drop travel uh, softball because travel sports are very expensive because you have to book hotels, all these different things. And so I'm like, you know what, let me just play in high school. I'll just be varsity. That's fine. And I was okay with that. But then funny enough, I moved my sophomore year. So my junior and senior year, I was in New Jersey and I did play varsity softball my junior year, but my coach is just so awful. She played a lot of favoritism. So the parents of the high school were pretty wealthy. So they would just pay for extra equipment or all these different things, new uniforms, all this stuff. And so of course their daughters who weren't that good got to play more. And I'm not the type of person who likes to waste time. And so even though my spot was earned, I didn't play that much because my parents aren't working out thousands of dollars to pay for this stuff for high school let alone. And so my friends, they were all in track and they're like, Precious, you got to join the track team. And like, it's so much fun. You can get in shape for prom and all these things. And I'm like, what? (laughs) No, thank you. I do not like running. I really don't. And to think about practicing every day, like practicing running every, what? No. And they're like, no, but you can become a thrower. You know, you can just throw and all you have to do is like a warm up two laps and then you lift in the gym and then, you know, that's it. And I'm like, oh, you know, that doesn't sound too bad. So my senior year, I picked up javelin throwing. 
which is just really random. <laughs> but it wasn't as random as you think, you know, like the previous 12 years of my life, all I was doing is throwing every day a softball, you know, so the technique is very much the same. And it just like God works in weird ways, man. It was a weird situation where my coach at the time was only in New Jersey for that one year because he tore his ligament in his arm. Like he went to the Olympic trials for javelin throwing. <laughs> so he was my coach for that one year, the one year he happened to be there. And I was like his little protege. Like he just taught me everything I needed to know. And my first year I went to States and all these different things. And I, I was number one in my county. Like I just picked it up so fast. And I had already applied to my college at that point. And he's just like, Precious, you should just hit up your track coach at your university and see if he can just walk on. And sure enough, I sent him an email and I walked on the team. And then I became <laughs> a D1 athlete at UCF. So that was really fun. That was really fun. Yeah. In college, like I traveled a lot, you know, I didn't make the travel squad until my sophomore year because college athletes are very different from high school. So it took me a while just to gain the muscle mass you need to gain, even though I was still the tiniest person there. Because throwers, I don't know if you've ever seen a thrower, but they are big, strong women. And I'm like scrawny and thin. <laughs> so yeah, that was an interesting experience. But then, you know, it was it was also really great. I think it really highlighted my college experience because I got, I got a little pass to skip class to go to California for the week, you know, just different things like that to be able to be an athlete. And that was just really fun. Really, really fun. But my junior year, I tore my ACL in my knee. And so that, that was the not so fun part. I had surgery on my knee and then I couldn't play anymore, but no regrets. It was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. That is the wildest path to being a collegiate athlete just picking up on something granted you had the skill and the technique from your previous softball experience but just picking it up senior year then continuing in college that's so crazy but have you noticed any ways in which your athletic background has integrated in you having a passion for food I don't think the two necessarily are are correlated. Though, of course, like with any sport, you do learn a lot of personal characteristics such as teamwork or working with difficult people or discipline. At least I think one of the biggest things that you learn is that if you work at something every day, you know, like you, you'll get better. And if you drop it, you, you lose it. And so I think one of the biggest things that I learned with that is taking those sort of characteristics with me. While I was in college, you know, I, like I said, I do the absolute most for no reason. I had to study for school. I was practicing our workouts. They started at like 7 a.m. We have like three hour workouts, you know, because then we have to go in later in the day for weights. But then I decided, hey, why don't I start a business? <laughs> so I started a cookie company where I was in college. And so that was really fun but it was intense. I remember Valentine's Day, I had this catering order for like maybe 500 cookies or something. And so I remember just overnight baking casually because the thing is, it's not like I had a whole bunch of equipment. I was the I was a solo entrepreneur, you know, and so I'm just baking batch after batch after batch and then letting them cool and then hand sealing them and keep packaging and all these different things. And then, you know, I'd get a quick 
nap in and before I had my workout at like 6 a.m. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to go. And then right after the workout would end at eight and then I had my first class and then I'm like, wow, this is not ideal. There was some naps that were taken in the hallway. Like it was just the super struggle. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Tell us about your cookie company. So I was really passionate. That's I, that's when I realized um, how passionate I was about eating local. And so one of the biggest things that I really advocated for, my cookies were vegan and they were avocado-based, which was really unique. So instead of butter, they were used with avocado, which is a really, really good fat. And it made the cookies like really fluffy and light. And the coolest thing about it that I really loved is that I got a lot of my ingredients from a local farm that was maybe five, 10 minutes away. And so I was able to like bike to their farm every Saturday and like pick up fresh eggs or whatever. And then on the weekends, I would go on farmer's markets that were in Orlando or around Florida. And it was really, really fun. I just sold cookies. Then I told them, hey, you know, every ingredient, you you could drive to it right now, you know? And so it was like such a novelty to be able to bring that perspective to people, you know, be like, hey, like these, not only are these cookies healthier than your average cookie, you know, because they were pretty high in protein from the avocado. And then they also have chia seeds or flax seeds, but then they tasted good because sometimes healthy cookies taste like sand. <laughs> but I used organic ingredients that actually tasted really good. So I use like this coconut sweetener, or I use fresh uh, raspberries or chocolate or things like that, that didn't necessarily have all the cream and stuff in it. And I just made it taste really yummy. I really, really loved working with unique flavors. Like I had a matcha white chocolate cookie. I had like a churro inspired cookie that was like basically kind of like a snickerdoodle cookie dipped in chocolate. And I also had like a raspberry chocolate one or a honey lavender. So it was just really fun coming up with different types of cookies. You know, I think that was the best part of it, you know, so that was fun. (laughs) I was going to ask you if you could clear up some misconceptions of what a foodie is, because you kind of dove into this in one of your episodes, the one about obesity, the wait list, mm-hmm. and just what people perceive a foodie as to what the reality is. <laughs> the show that you're referencing, I think it was like out of a joke, but this lady that I interviewed, she grew up eating whatever she wanted, which was fine, but it became to, it got to a point where she was over consuming. And so she... She thought that like being a foodie means that like, oh, you know, I just love food, so I'll eat as much as I want of it, which could be definitely true to a certain extent. But I think being a foodie really just depends on how you look at it and being passionate about food in any shape of the word. You know, I think a lot of chefs in general are foodies because they care about the ingredients that they're cooking or they are very knowledgeable about it. So it could be on the technical side of just being an expert about food, or it could be on the agricultural side or the supply chain industry side. So there's different aspects to it. But I think when most people use that term in a general sense, they just like food. I think that's really just what it comes down to. Or It could be the type of person that knows all the really cool restaurants in their town. They would be considered a foodie or they know a lot about the special deals or things like that or how to grocery shop properly on sale. Those those people are foodies as well. I think it just comes down to just loving food and trying new things and willing to understand the culture behind where food comes from. I think that can 
be defined as a foodie as well. I think it's a very personal sort of connotation though. Like there's no one way to be a foodie. You could just be someone who really loves watching Food Network and that would qualify too because you're just interested in seeing how uh, things are made. And so it's very personal. Do you think you biking to these farmers, picking up eggs, carefully choosing each and every one of your ingredients, especially as you're finding these combinations for your cookies, how has that developed you as a foodie and as a person who just really cares what is going into their food? And as a chef in general, just what was that experience like? Because I think that is so cool having each of your ingredients carefully like picked out and sourced locally. Honestly, I I loved it. And I think it definitely opened my mind to what food is. Because I think, is like, like I said, with food, there's just this huge misconception about where we get it from. People don't really give it a second thought. They're like, oh, I need bread. Oh, I need tomatoes or whatever. And they just go to the grocery store and pick it up. And that's like a one A to B thought, you know, that's it. And I was just really curious about, okay, so where are we actually getting this from? Because the grocery store doesn't just grow all this stuff. You know, where is it actually coming from? And it's so funny. People used to, like people still do, but people hate grocery shopping with me because I'm the slowest grocery shopper. I'm like, oh my gosh, look, the cherries are in the season or, oh, let me look at all the fresh produce. And I walk down the aisles and I'm like trying to decide which is the best to buy and and just so slow with it. And I think that's definitely where it comes from. I'm, I'm very curious about where things come from. And once I started to learn about all these different things, I got really into gardening. I love gardening. And that opened up a whole different experience for me because I actually understood how things grow. I remember my first plant was like a jalapeno plant and I didn't understand that vegetables flower first. And then once the leaves fall, then the plant grows. I just never taught that. So I'm like, why isn't it just popping, you know, springing up? But no, it actually takes a lot of nurture. And then the flowers have to be pollinated and all these different things. So it's good to grow herbs and stuff like that. And to keep pests away, you learn about all these different things. Because when we get food from the grocery store and you think about, okay, so why am I paying more for organic produce versus like regular produce? It's because, you know, of the pesticides and things like that. And so it's like, why does that matter? And like, if it's so bad, why is it legal? And so I just really learned about FDA regulations and what they consider to be so acceptable and not, you know, all these different things. And you learn about farm workers and all this other stuff. And then it becomes this giant can of worms that, or you see the underbelly of like the agriculture system, because there's a lot of flaws within that system, you know? And so I think that really intrigued my interest because, you know, being a college person, having a full grown garden at that point, I had a guava tree, lime trees. I was just growing. I had blackberry bushes. I would kale. Like I was growing everything. And the thing is, though, I'd still throw college parties and people would come over and they're like, what? Like this is, they were just, their, their mind would be completely blown. And I'm like, well, you know, clearly this isn't normalized, but we eat this stuff every day. And I just thought that was such a weird mental gap of education that we're not putting two and two together. And I think it's the same concept when it comes to the meat industry and how that directly links to a lot of the climate change issues that we're having. We don't see the chicken, so we don't make that connection. We're just like, oh yeah, let's just go to the meat aisle in the grocery store. Taking it another level and just thinking about where 
that goes. And then let's say nobody buys meat this week or something. You know, what happens to all the waste? I was so concerned about all the waste that was happening because not everybody's going to need an apple that week or whatever. So where do the where does the 600 apples go? Actually, grocery stores will throw away boxes and boxes of produce because it has a little bruise on it or a slightly brown banana or all these different things, which is incredibly awful. And so when you look into it more, you realize that out of all the food that we produce, out of all the thousands of items that we produce, 45% of it goes in the trash. And like once I realized that and it kind of changed my career path and my mentality about how much food we're producing and how much goes in the garbage because of the lack of efficiency. And then we still have people who don't have access to food or homelessness or people starving. I'm just like, this makes no sense, you know, because it's not, it's not a matter if we don't have enough. It just really isn't. It's, it's the systems that are in place of how we get our food and how we've valued a lot of convenience and how we don't buy ugly food and different things like that. And so I think all that stuff is so interesting and that's definitely changed my path and the way that I think knowing all of this, because it's like, now that I know this, how do I, how do I walk? How do I live? Because the thing is, so people just don't know. I didn't know. I just looked at one little aspect of the food industry and then all of this stuff came up of all these issues. And so, I mean, it's not hidden. It's just people don't talk about it and people don't know. And so I think if I found a way to kind of renew this system or build a system that's better for people. I think that's something that I'd want to be a part of. Wow, that is just amazing. And seriously, the whole background behind what you are pursuing and why you are, and then also the sustainability you want to build with it, I think is is beautiful. So thank you for coming on today and sharing your story. No, thank you for having me. And that was my episode with Precious Pioneer. Thank you so much for listening and I hope you enjoyed it just as much as I did. Make sure to go check her out on every platform, every social. I will leave them linked in the show notes and you can just watch her YouTube videos, listen to her podcast, all that. She's an amazing person and I actually love getting to know her. So thank you so much and I will see you next time. Bye.